Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Suicide Prevention Month, Rail Safety Week, and local writer Chip Scoggins on his new book with legendary Minnesota sports writer Patrick Royce. But first... As many as 15,000 nurses went on strike for three days this week at 15 hospitals in the Twin Cities and Duluth Superior. We want to be inside that hospital. We don't want to be walking the lines, but we're not willing to continue with the status quo. We are tired of not being heard. We are tired of not being able to provide for our patients the way that we know our patients deserve to be provided for. That's Brittany, an ER nurse at United Hospital in St. Paul. Paul Omot with the Twin Cities Hospitals Group said nurses going on strike are choosing to walk away from their patients. We think you should exhaust each and every means to avoid a strike or resolve something before you affect patient care. Omot said the nurses union repeatedly rejected mediation. We are fighting to put patients first before corporate health care agreed. Said St. Paul Children's Hospital RN Melissa Cole. Hospital executives responded they offered a 10 to 12 percent wage increase but nurses demand for 30 percent over three years is financially unworkable. Becky Bixie RN at St. Luke's in Duluth responded. Nope staffing 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 is our main concern. This is from the same company that didn't offer us any hazard pay when we were marching into hospitals at the beginning of the pandemic and they were all working from home. The nurses say chronic staff shortages are endangering patient safety. Friday night I worked 16 hours overnight. I went home, I slept for four hours, I came back and worked another 12. And I do this at least once a week. We've brought in nurses from around the country as replacement nurses. They're currently being trained. There's more coming in every day. Our doors will be open, care will be provided. Said Paul Omad with the Twin Cities Hospitals Group. For emergency care, people should feel confident in going to the emergency room. You might have to wait longer than usual, but again, they will triage the level of care. The hospitals are really good at coordinating with each other. Top Democrats, meanwhile, said they are in solidarity with the nurses. House Speaker Melissa Hortman among them. And I'm here on the line with you because you shouldn't have to be on strike. I know you want to be in there. I know you want to be taking care of patients, but hospital executives aren't listening. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison urged the parties to continue negotiating. I hope that management sees that the nurses are not making unreasonable demands. One of the main things they're asking for is more security. Many of them have been physically attacked while administering medical services to patients. Passing motorists showing their support for picketing nurses outside St. Luke's Hospital in Duluth. Democratic State Senator Jen McEwen saying to hospital execs, Get back to the marketing table and treat our nurses, our neighbors, our family, our friends here in this community fairly. We are watching. We expect absolutely no retaliatory action toward any of the nurses here in our city or any of the nurses statewide. At a time of uncertainties, confusion, death, tragedy, trauma, it was nurses who walked into the face of that every single day. Governor Tim Walls telling striking nurses at United and Children's Hospital in St. Paul, we stand with you in solidarity to protect our patients. You walk here today to protect patients and Minnesotans. 
You walk here today to make sure healthcare is delivered in the safest, most efficient manner. Nurses ended their three-day strike. Minnesota Nurses Association First Vice President Chris Rubish saying in Duluth he hopes it ultimately results in a settlement. We really wanted to elevate our message to the community, and I think based on the the noise you see here, based on the community members, uh, so many other unions, faith groups coming out to support us, I think that mission was uh, was accomplished. Cindy Seguin, RN at St. Luke's in Duluth, says people dropped off water and cookies, which kept the nurses going. We want to return all of that back to the community. We want to be in there taking care of you and your family. So thank you. Thank you for doing everything. Appreciate it. But the question still remains, will the nurses' three-day strike loosen the deadlock with hospital management over a new contract? Union President Mary Turner said Wednesday in the Twin Cities there's no progress on wage talks and staffing issues and asked her fellow nurses... Are all of you willing to go back to the conditions that you've been in? So we don't have any alternative but to go into round two of this war. In Duluth, Union First Vice President Chris Rubesh was asked, is another strike possible? We're not focused on that right now. We're focused on going back to the table and uh, having constructive dialogue and hopefully reaching a a tentative agreement. Uh, Anything else we do after this will be decided by all of our members uh, here today. A University of Minnesota labor expert says it's too early to tell whether nurses' three-day strike is enough to break the stalemate with hospital management over a new contract. And Professor John Budd at the Carlson School of Management notes, The union is going to have to move ahead carefully if this doesn't get enough movement at the bargaining unit and wants to contemplate another strike or another short strike. Professor Budd says there's some legal risk for the nurses to have another short strike. At some point, if you just keep striking over the same issue repeatedly in short strikes, you lose uh, legal protection, and so then nurses could be disciplined for participating in that strike. Professor Budd says a long strike would still be legally protected. But then the financial cost to rank-and-file nurses would potentially be much higher, and, of course, it would be much higher for the hospitals as well. And that, says the professor, is the fine line that each side is now walking. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The most recent data shows in 2020, 723 Minnesotans lost their lives to suicide. That's two people per day. This Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, Tasha Radel visited with Dr. Dan Riedenberg, Executive Director of Minnesota-based SAVE, that's Suicide Awareness Voices of Education. Well, wanted to visit with you. I know this month is Suicide Prevention Month, and it's, it's really time to draw awareness uh, to the subject of suicide. Can you tell us a little bit about your goal for this month? Sure. Thanks for having me. And, uh, the goal for this month is to continue to raise awareness that suicide is a real problem. It's a public health issue and that everybody needs to be involved in suicide prevention efforts. Oftentimes we think that it's just a doctor that uh, is involved in saving lives, but it really takes all of us to be involved. And finally, the biggest message that I'm really sharing this year is that suicide's a complex problem. It's not just about one thing. Oftentimes we hear that it was a breakup of a relationship or was a job loss or, or one thing that led to a suicide, and we know that it's always multiple things. And, you know, when we talk about suicide, uh, it really doesn't discriminate. We really see this across all races and ages and genders, I'm assuming. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, we do see suicide cutting across all ages from young people, 5 to 10 years of age, even 10 to 15 years of age, to seniors that are 65 and 85 years of age and older. It cuts across all demographics, whether they live in cities or on farms uh, throughout the state. Uh, it cuts across all religions. It cuts across all cultural values and backgrounds. Uh, we have uh, increases in the African-American population, especially African-American males are seeing increases. We see it in the Latino-Hispanic population. We've seen that recently in some uh, uh, cases here in St. Paul. So really it is cutting across every demographic. And, you know, Dan, I also wanted to visit with you a little bit. You know, um, how common are these incidents uh, here in Minnesota? Well, unfortunately, all too common. Uh, the, in 2020, we had 723 people uh, that, that lost their lives to suicide. That's two people per day. Um, uh, and we, So we saw declines during the, the height of the pandemic in, 19, in 2020 and 2021. Uh, anecdotal reports uh, that I'm hearing here in the state and across the country are that we're seeing uh, significant increases uh, this year in 2022, which is not surprising, but scary. Uh, so we know that there is uh, far too many that are, are dying by suicide. And yet the almost, if we could say good news, is that we have a lot more people that think about suicide. Uh, which gives us an opportunity to intervene and help and prevent a tragedy from happening. And then lastly, for someone listening today uh, that that is struggling, what advice would you give them? If somebody is uh, listening today uh, and, and they're having thoughts of suicide, they're just struggling with a mental health challenge or a chemical health challenge, and they feel like there's no hope anymore, uh, what I would say is there's always hope. Uh, it may not be that you can see it right now, but talk to somebody else because they can be eyes and ears for you to see where hope is. Uh, we have lots of treatments available, and there's all kinds of treatments that are available. There are all kinds of services and programs that are available to people that are struggling. Uh, whether somebody wants to text uh, SAVE to 741-741 and talk to somebody or dial 988 and talk to somebody on the phone. 
there are always uh, there's always hope. Uh, it's just that sometimes we can't see it when we're in, in the depths of despair. So reach out to somebody, talk to somebody you know, talk to somebody you trust. Um, be, be vulnerable, and and you will it will pay off for you. You will get the support you need, and you will get through the crisis. And you know, Dan, you mentioned the the new hotline nine eight eight. How has that rollout been? Well, it's 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 been difficult. It's it's taken uh, a long time to build the system, and it's going to take even longer for us to see how it goes. It's going to take years, in fact, before we know how effective it's working. The good news is that it's an easy number to remember. The good news is that um, people are calling. Uh, we've seen increases uh, just since the the launch of it on July 16th. Uh, that more people are calling. That's a good sign that people are reaching out for help. Uh, you know, we we need more people to answer the calls, truthfully. The capacity to handle the need of, of, of citizens in our state, we just need more people. Uh, so it will take time to develop the line into a, a much better system, very similar to 911. When 911 first came out, um, there were there were ups and downs with it for many, many decades. Uh, we'll see how this goes over time, uh, but the people are calling the number, and that's a good sign. All right, Dan. Well, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great day. That's Tasha Radel with Dr. Dan Riedenberg, Executive Director of Minnesota-based SAVE. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. In Minnesota each year, on average, 30 people are killed or injured in grade crossing and trespassing incidents with trains. This is Rail Safety Week in Minnesota and in North America, and I spoke with Operation Lifesaver's Cheryl Cummings about the group's mission. Operation Lifesaver is actually an international movement that believes that we can prevent terrible tragedies around tracks and trains by providing uh, awareness and education to the public. Um, Operation Lifesaver Incorporated is uh, national. It's a U.S.-based national office, and they are a 501c3 nonprofit, and they have member organizations, including ours, in every state uh, across the country. So Minnesota Operation Lifesaver operates as its own independent 501c3. Uh, We have volunteers all across the state, uh, and they provide their time and their passion and their efforts to try to make their communities a better and safer place. And obviously, uh, rail safety is something that's emphasized year-round each year, but there is kind of a, a an extra focus each year uh, on Operation Lifesaver for for the you know the span of a week or so, and we're kind of coming up to that next week. What's kind of the focus for Operation Lifesaver next week? So Operation Lifesaver uh, in 2017 decided that we needed more of a unified uh, voice and an opportunity to really highlight all of the efforts that we make and all of the things that we do to try, as you said, to make a difference year-round. Unfortunately, about every three hours, a person or vehicle is hit by a train in this country. And for those of us in Minnesota, you know, we don't realize that that does not include um, transit, um, light rail, 
um, incidents that occur as well. So we do partner with all uh, types of tracks and trains <laughs> because we believe that um, you should always be expecting a train um, no matter what runs on those tracks, whether it be um, a streetcar or a freight train or a commuter train. Um, so our mission is to really just raise awareness to the public and provide that education so that we have the ability to make the decisions that are safe for ourselves. Um, so we have um, been working with our national office since 2017, since 2018 and 2019, respectively, it's actually become a North American effort. So uh, Canada, the United States, and the Mexican um, Rail Association also all recognize Rail Safety Week uh, at the same time every year. And it's a pretty big um, success to us. And we also partner with Amtrak on Tuesday, uh, the 20th. We will be recognizing for the sixth year in a row Operation Clear Track, which is the largest single day uh, enforcement event um, focused on rail safety and um, the laws and things that keep us safe and help us make good decisions around tracks and trains as well. So beyond uh, trespassing and being aware of uh, where these uh, tracks are on private property. What are things that Minnesotans need to know in order to keep themselves safe around tracks? Well, one of the biggest things is to just remember that when you see tracks, to be thinking about trains. Even if you are in an area where you don't see a lot of train traffic on those tracks, it's even more important to be vigilant and to always be prepared to stop at those tracks. Um, as I mentioned, you know, trains are very efficient. They can go much faster than we think they are. They often will look like they are further away than they really are if you are looking at them at an angle down the tracks. And so it's really important for us to just wait. Um, that extra minute or two is going to be worth your life. Um, if you were to tie with a train, um, you're not going to win. And so it's really important to just be cognizant and be prepared to stop at every rail crossing because the railroads do have the right of way. Um, they can't stop as quickly as we can. The other thing to think about, too, is that the equipment that the road authority installs um, is there to help us. It's there to help us make the safe decision, that is to always um, yield to any oncoming train. So whether that is a gate and arm, um, you know, equipment, whether that's flashing lights or a cantilever light, whatever the case might be, whatever the equipment that has been installed there, it hasn't been put there lightly. That equipment costs a lot of money, and the road authority puts that in place to help us. It's a tool for us to use, just like our education um, efforts. We really believe that our education is a tool that we can use, everyone can use, to help make safer decisions around those tracks and trains and make it home safe every day. Thank you to my guest, Cheryl Cummings, with Operation Lifesaver. And if you'd like to find out more about the program or if you'd like to volunteer for Operation Lifesaver, you can visit oli.org. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Longtime Minnesota writer Patrick Royce has written sports stories nearly his entire life and told sports stories for even longer. He's written several sports books and has many good stories to tell, so in one of the newest books out there for Minnesota sports fans to read, Royce tells many of the best stories he has. The name of the new book is Tales from the Minnesota Sports Beat, A Lifetime on Deadline. The story is written from a first-person point of view, but much of the work was compiled by Minneapolis Star Tribune columnist Chip Scoggins, who co-wrote the book. Scoggins joins MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm this week to tell us how the idea of the book came about and more. You know, I've been wanting to write a book, and I wanted to write this book specifically. I've been a colleague of, of Pat's to start to being for almost 23 years now, and I knew a lot of his life story. I knew a lot of his stories, um, but I also knew it would be about the way I pitched it to Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that don't know him, I mean, Patrick's very humble. You and you know, right. from his persona, you may not get that, but he doesn't like, you know, uh, people calling him a legend and all these different things. He doesn't want a statue. Um, so I told him, I said, Pat, you have all these great stories from your life growing up in Fulda, your career, you're 75 years old, let's do a book. And, you know, typical Pat, last meet at the Gopher Bar and have some Coney dogs and talk about it. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so I get there early that day, we're having lunch, and, and uh, Pat comes in, and there was a couple different groups there. And so, he, you know, he walks in, Roycey! You know, they yell to him, he goes over and talk to him, and then he comes and sits down. I said, Patrick, that's why we're going to do this book. Right. People want to hear your stories. You know, they they love your, you know, who you are, your character. Um, and so he agreed to it. And, you know, the one thing I told uh, the Minnesota Historical Society Press, which is the publisher, um, is that I wanted it to be in first per- person because when you read it, I wanted you to hear Patrick's voice. And everybody who knows Royce, he knows that voice, that gravelly voice. And so uh, I didn't want it to be me writing and then a paragraph, you know, quote, Royce said, no, you need to hear, it need to be in first person and you need to hear his voice as you're reading it. So um, they agreed and uh, it was a ton of fun to, to, you know, spend probably 50 hours with Patrick over, you know, weeks and months just cataloging, you know, his stories and his life. How does you pare down, because you and I both know Patrick, uh, he's as good a storyteller as there is, great memory. He just, yeah. his recall is still remarkable for his age. How did you pare it down to fit into one book? Yeah, that's, Patrick says, we put in there what he can remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I tell you, you're right, uh, Mike. He has a unreal recall. There was only, of all the hours we spent together, 
and I would, you know, after we'd have a session, it'd be five or six hours, and then I'd go back and I'd look up every story, everything, every fact. There was only one story I couldn't verify that I could not find anywhere through Google or just research. I just couldn't find it. Everything else, I mean, he, he would be. Uh, we start. We, you know, be talking about baseball, and he, you know, late August 1977, the Twins have a series down in Kansas City, and Rodney on a Sunday goes four for five. Rodney Crew goes four for five, and his average is 408, and he got these, you know, seven standing ovations. And I'd go look it up, and it was spot on. I mean, it was like verbatim, exactly crystal clear, uh, clear detail um, what happened, and and he just has this amazing recall of stories and and events and specific games and that's the one thing that stood out to me is like my memory's terrible i can't remember last week um but he just has this un you know this uh, incredible ability to recall events in his life um and of course he has written many books himself yeah. including about his own colleagues he's got the sid book and many others was there any um any intimidation from that standpoint it's not like you're writing a book for a guy who's a coach and might not be a great writer you're writing a book on a great writer who's going to be reading it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, he made it so easy. And I think the fact that he had written Sid's book and done, uh, been through the process, we would meet at the Star Tribune building on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. And, you know, Patrick would come in with his Diet Cokes and we'd have a bag of McDonald's. And then I'd, I, we had broken it down that we knew his chapters. Yep. Um, so there was, you know, okay, today we're going to do baseball. You take a swig of Diet Coke and he's like, I grew up in Fulda, and he just—he would just go, and you know, I would just sit there and listen to these stories. And sometimes I'd interrupt him to, hey, let's flesh that out, or um, you know, do some follow-ups. But for the most part, um, he just talked and shared these stories, and it was amazing. And it, the whole process—that part was um, simple, because I think Patrick knew what he wanted to say and the stories he wanted to, to put out there, and just how it would flow in a book. Uh, do you have plans to uh, write more books now? <laughs> um, none on my radar. I would like to do another one, um, uh, maybe a different kind of book. But it was it was an interesting process. I mean, it's so different than newspaper writing. Obviously, um, it's it's longer. To, uh, you know, part of the the pandemic has changed the world in every facet in the in the printing industry too. So it, it came out a little later than we wanted, but it, uh, it was it was weird to work on something that long um, and take that long to see it. You know, actually arriving your your mailbox and in your hands. So, but I, I think I would like to do another one um, at some point. I don't don't have one off the top of my head right now. Um, how cool was it to see the finished product? Yeah, that was that was awesome, and they they sent. Um, uh, advanced copies to Patrick and I, and um, it was it was really neat because you know it's it's something I never really thought about writing a book. Um, so to actually have it in your hands after it being delayed a couple of months longer than we thought, uh, it was a highlight day for me for sure. That's Minnesota sports writer Chip Scoggins with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm telling us about his new book chronicling the sports writing career of the legendary Patrick Royce. Part two of their interview will come in next week's Minnesota Matters. As for this week's show, it's coming to an end. Thank you so much for listening again, and please tune in again for Minnesota Matters next week on this MNN station.